Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So I have my co-host Aaron Brabham here with me today. Hey, Aaron, how you doing? Doing well, James. I know people are used to hearing me on the Ask Altucher Daily Podcast. If you're not used to hearing my voice, then you don't listen to the Ask Altitude shows, and you really, really should. Those are fun. We have a fun time on those. We have a great time on those. And, you know, notice I didn't do a whole big intro on this one because here's what I figure about intros now. People are already clicking on the podcast. They know it's the James Altitude mm-hmm. show. Why? And they, I'm always so stupid. Like, I always say this is James Altitude the James Altitude show. Everybody knows that already. Plus, you have Go bumper. Click. By the way, plus you have bumper music that uh, intros you in as the James Altucher show. Oh my god, I, it's going to be so <laughs> much better not to have my annoying voice say my name five times in a row. But that's not why you invited me on today, James. Why did you invite me on to uh, for this show? It's going to be a unique one. Okay, there's a couple reasons. One is this is I I, I interviewed Bismarck Key, the rapper. You know who he is, right? Of course, baby. You you got what I need. Yeah. Yes, of that, course. He's awesome. One of my all time favorite rap yes. songs. So for whatever reason, I was obsessed with interviewing him, and I and I'll get to that in a second. But I interviewed him on the podcast, and it was the worst interview any podcaster ever or ever did with anybody and i kind of, and it's not his fault it was completely my fault so i kind of wanted to go over it and analyze it a little bit more in depth and give him more credit than i was able to in the interview but also kind of explain more some of the things he's talking about because i didn't really give him a chance in the interview it's fascinating what i learned from him in the interview so so i just didn't want to miss that opportunity. So what we're going to do is we're going to replay the interview and pause and stop at different points and kind of talk about what he's saying a little bit more. Um, but I want to say also, a lot of times people say, oh, um, you know, how, how do you get all these people on your podcast? Like, is it only because of your your network? And I have to say, I did not know Bismarcky at all. What I did was I kind of put the word out and then literally um, a guy who works for a company that I know, his lawyer's son is some kind of music agent. And he was nice enough to call Bismarck's management company. And then they didn't return any of my calls for a while. They did after a while. And finally, it was like 20 calls later, we narrowed it down 
and Biz Marquis was going to call in. And we it, it took months to line up that interview. So it was to, to line up the, a lot of these podcast interviews is really hard work. Uh, and we still didn't even know one minute before he was going to call in that he was going to call in. So that's just that's lesson number one there on, on podcasting. I had nothing to do with Biz Marquis. He's a busy guy. Yeah, I, I get that. You know, but I'm I'm going to sit here and be kind of like a uh, not devil's advocate, but I'm going to challenge you uh, during this interview process. You know, I've been podcasting for I don't know close to three years now. I've, I've done live radio for a couple of years in Orlando, and uh, sometimes I think interviews are really terrible. But then, from an outside perspective, they're not so bad. So I'm I'm interested to to see why you're so critical of this one. I know you wrote a post about it and you did say that, you know, he was like a idol to you. You know, you considered him a quote unquote friend and but you didn't feel like he was being a friend to you. So I'm, I'm curious to see the psychology behind that because maybe you were just giddy, like, you know, like a, like a, like a crush on him. And maybe I just, I don't know, maybe I just wanted to be like best friends with him afterwards, you know, like, like Bismarcky and I would start hanging out afterwards. Kind of like what you did with Ice-T. You yeah, became exactly. Ice-T's man. Like, that. you know, that's what you kind of wanted. Well, I went on Ice-T's podcast, and, and he's going to come on this podcast, too. So he'll be on in a couple of weeks. And he's he was a, a, a really great guy, very, you know, very engaging. And um, we, had a, we had a lot to talk about. I think Biz is a little bit more um, – he's very focused on what he does, but he's built a great – career um you know was and we'll 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 get to it in the in the interview um but let's um let's start it off and and tim shulka you're 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 in the house here right so so you're gonna we're gonna tell you to start and stop every now and then okay all right sounds good okay so let's let's start the uh the bismarck key interview this is james altucher with the james altucher show and i can't believe i'm actually talking to this guest Biz Marquis, okay. welcome so, to the show. So we can, what's up, we can, son? What's up? What's up? So, so I want to stop for a second. I'm like yelling to the audience here. Like, Aaron, do, you do, well, do I do this on every single <laughs> Oh, podcast? man. Is it going to be one of these where we stop like every five words, James? Are you going to get so neurotic about this? Maybe this is a terrible idea for us to go through this thing. I am. I am neurotic. I'm a, I'm, I don't oh, want to say I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. perfectionist. You're on your way to being one. But you're more of a laid back perfectionist. You understand you have flaws. There's a big difference. Yeah. Like I want to, you know. You know, in in anything, like in, in chess, for instance, whenever you lose a game, that's the best opportunity to learn because you analyze your mistakes. So I think it's really like I am never, ever for the rest of my life going to yell an intro on well, a podcast. You know what? You're excited. You're you're showing your passion. Um, but OK, fine. Uh, right, I, I don't see any problem with it at all. So I'll say we just continue forward. OK, continue forward. I'm so, I'm so excited you're here. You're really like uh we're, we're we're close to the same age but to me you're a hero you're like the uh, a legend the the, the father of, of hip-hop pretty much oh and I just Thank you. i'm not wanted the father to... but uh i'm one of the uncles he's yeah, the uncle of hip-hop, the uncle of hip-hop. <laughs> i'm gonna call you that so so i just really wanted to talk to you find out how it all started, find out what's been going on since then and what you're up to now. Because what's impressed me with you is that you were so pivotal pivotal at the beginning of the hip hop industry and your career. You've been re, you've reinvented your career in so many ways. I kind of want to just talk about that because so many of our listeners 
are also reinventing their careers. And even though it might be different than how you did, I think they can get a lot of inspiration from how you did it. So, so oh, okay. what happened in the beginning? How did it all start out? What got you interested in what you did? Okay, uh, in 1977 or 78, I heard a tape from the L Brothers from my man Derek Mangaroo. And ever, ever since I heard it was Grand Wizard Theater and the L Brothers, and that's what got me hooked on hip-hop. And the reason that I tried so hard to get into hip-hop is because um, I always used to try to get into a group, and they would never let me in. <laughs> what would they say? I mean, obviously you had to tell them. What would they say? I mean, at the beginning days, I guess I wasn't as good as everybody, you know. I had to work to get good. When you were working to get good, how many hours a day were you practicing? Were you going to high school at the time, or what was going on? Well, I was in junior high, and then I went to high school, and then I used to practice at least about 16 hours to 10 hours a day because I was, I was doing the beatbox. So okay, stop. I used to try to Six to 10 hours a day of practice. Yeah, that's amazing. That's somebody who really wants it. So a lot of the questions that we get on Ask Altature are from people that won't do any work until they're given a guarantee on the back end. But as you know, James, there are no guarantees in life and you need to do the work first. This is a guy who is going to he was damn determined to become good. Yeah, like so many people say like, oh, I have a full-time job, but I have an idea. How could I raise venture capital so I can leave my job? And look, I appreciate that. They probably have an idea that they're passionate about. But this is six to ten hours a day of practice, and that's how you get to be not the father of hip-hop, but just the uncle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, okay, so let's let's get going. Mimic records and do different sounds that's funky. So, so just for, I don't know if you want to do this, but just for the listeners who don't even know what beatbox is, do you want to, um, do you want to describe what that is or do you want to give an example? Okay. Beatboxing is, uh, music done orally. Like if I went, like if I went, That's what that's what the human beatbox is. You still got the skills. Oh yeah, I can't lose. It's just like riding the bike. Huh. So okay, so six to ten hours a day of hard work. This is I don't think people realize what really goes into the making of an artist. It wasn't like you suddenly came up with a hit song and, and we're out there. This was you know, the song you're most well known for came out in nineteen eighty nine or nineteen eighty eight, but you were from nineteen 19- 1977 on, you know, working six to ten that. hours a day. I had hit records before that. Right, so you had you had albums. Okay, you had stop, stop several albums. You're okay, so so he's he's really only known for just a friend, but uh, you know, I, I I think I wasn't giving enough respect to the fact that he really did have a bigger career than just that one song. Like it's just that that's you know, let's say one of the that's the song that's kind of lasted through time. Yeah, you know, um, okay, so here's my observations. Just so, so far in the podcast from a podcaster, right? Okay. All right, so you definitely started off the interview as giddy, like a little school kid, right? Like this yeah. is your idol and your hero, which is not bad because you want to give good positive energy to start off an interview. I always believe in that. Come in yeah. hot, right? I thought that you definitely put him up on a pedestal early on, but you didn't do what James Altucher usually does, which is 
give very specific examples of you doing research on him. You, it's almost like you just, it's almost like you started this podcast off as if you're a fan, but you don't really know his work very well. So he's posturing a little bit. I see what he's doing now because he, I don't think he realizes that you know his biography in and out at this point yet. So I can you see know, him and, taking and a little do, defensive but here. But the reality is, his his hits before were not really like top ten hits. Like they were they were hits in Queens, for instance, but they weren't like national hits, which I appreciate. Like he was like an underground guy, uh, and he came up from that. But the first one that was like a Billboard top one hundred was just a friend, and that was almost really the last one. But that said, he's absolutely correct. Like he had he was well known in New York. Uh, where I grew up uh, as like a great rapper before that hit. But, you know, so he's so he's correct. He's schooling me. Well, yeah, he is. And, and, you know, some artists, they really become bitter about like their big hits. Right. Because they because that's where most people know them. And that's where they got a lot of wealth and fame and fortune. But then he ended up resenting it. I remember John Bon Jovi said it best. He goes, look, when I have a concert. I'm going to play my biggest hits because that's what the fans love. And I want to give them that experience. But, you know, artists are notorious for this. Prince got into this really bad habit of saying, look, if you bought your ticket and he would say this at concerts, if you bought your ticket expecting to hear Purple Rain, uh, you might as well get up and leave right now because I'm probably going to play not a single song that you know. Well, it, it actually then reminds me of the the Seinfeld quote, like, what, you know, when Howard Stern asks him, you know, why'd you go out at the top? Everybody wanted another season. And Jerry Seinfeld said, Howard, that's why I went out, because the because I'm in show business, not the, the public is not in show business. If they were, they'd be doing the show. So I'm in show business. And that's why I went out at the top. That's a good point. By the way, his uh, beatbox, he's I think he's the world's best. And I, I don't think anybody could even argue against that. Uh, and for anybody that's not really familiar with Biz, it was uh, Men in Black, I think, number three, where he's a worker and he starts to do um, the beatbox. And it's yeah, yeah, he's, he's an alien. Yeah, he's right? an alien. Or no, or no, yes. he, wor he worked for them. Yes, he was an alien. And then he starts to like it's kind of like unlocking the code where he shows. But I mean, the guy is a freaking mad genius. So. All right. Yeah. And, and also, by the way, if you. um. If you if you like just a friend and want to um, hear him more doing beatbox, um, I think even a better song is uh, is search on YouTube. DJ Cool, let me clear my throat yes. with Biz Marquee because he makes a guest appearance and he does beatbox and it's a great song. It's a fun song to just listen to. And everybody will know, let me clear my throat because it's still yeah. played today, even as, especially at weddings and crazy things like that. And, and I think when when uh, in, in the standard song, Biz is not there, but in the YouTube version, he's he makes a guest appearance. They're at a club. And I think his part is like the best part in the song. I'm definitely going to listen to it. All right. So at this point, James, did you start to feel a little bit of like tension? Like, uh oh, I got schooled a little bit. Are you still like, ah, I don't really care, man. Just. No, no, I, I felt like I was getting school because I didn't want to insult him by saying, you know, he did you're, have that like saying you're one hit wonder. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't want to get so fast into the one hit wonder aspect. But <laughs> okay. there we are. So, right. OK, let's let's roll. Yeah, let's let's keep going. Pretty well known. But from 1977 like when, on, like when Just a Friend came out, that was my second album. My first album is what I was known for with Nobody Beats the Biz, Picking Boogies, Vapors, There's Some for the Radio, Make the Music. You know what I mean? What, why did you decide to go on your own? Were you not getting into any groups, or were you in a, in a group? 
I was in a group called Midnight Express back in the day. But besides that, I just want, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a soloist because I wanted to be like a one man band. And okay, so, so when your there. first album came out, so, so I just want to point out, it's really hard to be a one man in a band. I mean, I mean, I mean, in, in a band with like a bunch of people. Yeah, it's, like, called, it's called EDM music and being a DJ is your only chance. Yeah, so he, Bismarck, he is a great example of a guy who like chose himself. He's like, as far as I know, he's like the first rapper really who who chose himself, who was, who was just doing it by himself. I mean, I guess Ice-T, but Ice-T had a band, like he had a metal sure. band around him. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, we'll go ahead. And it was uh, starting to be a hit. Did your life change? Because hip-hop wasn't, it was already big, but it wasn't as big as it later became. Like, how did your life change? Well, my life didn't really, my life just changed financially, but otherwise my life was still the same. You know, I always had friends and stuff like that. Right, so, but you were working, you were, even though you were a soloist, you were working with a lot of guys like Dougie Fresh, DJ Cool. You were working with all, with kind of your, you well, had your core well, group well, of, well, of me, people. Well, me and Dougie always been boys. You know, we were like, the, the, we were the first ones to do the beatbox and uh, Buffy from the Fat Boys, but I knew DJ Cool from something else, so that, all of them came after I, after, after I was making records. Like, I did DJ Cool in 90-something. Okay, because I remember you from the part in uh, "Let Me Clear My Throat." By there you go. Yeah, but that was in ninety something. That was okay. I stop making records. I'm gonna call stop on this one. Okay, so he now has it. This I'm just guessing. He now has it in his mind that you don't know anything about the history of his music because now he's I'm even like battling quoting, with I'm like, like 90. About yeah. Every one of his friends. But, but he's even pointing out like, well, cool was after, you know, me and Dougie fresh were way before then. And that was song was way, I mean, he's, he's, we're talking a couple of years and we're talking 20 years ago almost. Right. But yeah. he's stuck in this, like, uh, in his mind, I'm damn it. No, quit talking about my damn one hit wonder. That's what I feel like he's doing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, you know, what was interesting to me though, there was, you know, I don't know if they're still doing stuff together, but I always find it fascinating when all these guys started out as like junior high school kids, mm -hmm. just practicing together. Like I think he and Dougie fresh might've even gone to like junior high school together and they sort of grew up in this industry and became famous together. And it's interesting to me, like, no man is an island. Like, there's no such thing as, like, just Albert Einstein working by himself in a patent office anymore. Like, now you have to kind of, like, bounce things off your friends. And creativity happens in 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 groups and, and working together and, and with people you're having fun with. Like, he and Dougie Fresh and then later DJ Cool. And then later, the Beastie Boys, you know, they all, Bismarck, he got a lot of benefit out of working with other people. Mm hmm. All right, let's roll. Like in 90 or 89. So I wasn't really thinking about making records. And why did you stop making records? Myself. Huh? Why did you stop making records? It got boring to me. You just it wanted to boring, perform? So or? It got boring to me, and I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to teach myself how to DJ and teach myself how to do other things. So, so, so you were achieving this success. I feel like you were all, you were kind of, you, you were at your peak. You were really breaking out more than breaking out. You were like the best rapper around. And at that very point, 
you decided to stop making records. You, uh, I'm just curious. Do you think you were almost afraid of what was going on, or or never afraid of what was going on? I just wanted to go on and move to do different things. Never afraid of no music. Good. That don't make so, sense. So what? So what did you do next? So you made. So okay. For, first off, let's go back. 1977 through the 80s. You're getting better. You started to be a soloist. Your albums come out. Financially, like your life. My first record came out with Ross and Chante called the Death Fresh Girls in 84, 85. My first solo record came out was Make the Music in the Biz Band. That came out in 86. Then I was making singles and singles and singles, and then my first album came out in 88. That was the Business Going Off album. And then after that, in 89, I made the Just a Friend album. And then after Just a Friend, everybody recognized you on the street. Like, everybody knew who you were. They knew me before the Just a Friend. Is the just <laughs> there a friend goes again. Local, okay. Instead of just when, United States. Went global. You could sing Just a Friend. You could. I can go to like. You're not letting it go. You know, <laughs> China right now and sing Just a Friend and they'll know exactly the, the words to the song. Like, it's totally, it's the most global song in the world. But, you know, it's one, it's one of them records. Yeah, it was a great record. So what did you do? What did you do after that? That must have just changed your life in terms of other artists must have wanted to work with you. Other artists must have wanted you to like DJ or produce their songs. At the time, at the time, I was just, I was just having fun. And then after that, I started working with the BC Boys. So we, we started to be bonded, bonding as a family. And then we started working on records together. Like you I did, did a lot of songs with them. You did, did like Check records. Your Head, Ill Communication. Yeah, uh, I did like two or three of their albums with them. How did you meet them? Um, we knew each other from New York, but we really, we really bonded. We, there was in L.A., and I was we were playing a basketball game with me and the Booyah Tribe, me and the Beastie Boys versus the Booyah Tribe. And then after that, after everybody, I just hung around, and then people started playing the piano, and I just started singing along. And then uh, they just started laughing all night, and then we just bonded in court. Cause you, uh, you just stop right there. Unlike a lot of, so so I thought that was interesting, and I didn't really pursue it. But again, it's just like these random, you know. And and Aaron, actually, we were talking about this a little before the podcast started. It's like when you're in a city or when you're in a scene, sometimes it's just these random interactions that inspire creativity. Like he did three, I think he did three albums with the Beastie Boys or four albums with the Beastie Boys. Yeah, I didn't know that at all. Um, yeah, just just from a basketball game they met. Yeah, and I mean, how huge were the Beastie? The Beastie Boys were way bigger than he ever was ever. Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably, I, I don't know for sure, but I bet you, you know, he made more money working on their albums than he did on his own album. I would bet you're right. Although now, you know, I just heard just a friend, I was I was in a store with my kids the other day, and it was like, I think it was Forever 21, like some kind of little girl's clothing store, and uh, I heard um, somebody sampling just a friend, and I asked my 12-year-old, like, who's that? And she said, oh, it's Austin Mahone. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I talked to the guy who is the sample, and she was like, really? But it's Austin Mahone. And so what's funny is... My twelve. I had taken my twelve-year-old also to see Austin Mahone in concert, but that's another story. Um, so, so his song. The point is, Bismarck's song, "Just a Friend," is still played, and none of his other songs are so, still played. So, when you heard it, when you're with your daughter, did you have a traumatic flashback to this uh, interview? 
I did. I did. <laughs> I knew I, it. And I was thinking to myself, boy, I can't God. wait to do that podcast with Aaron talking about uh, okay, it. Okay, all right. Let's uh let's keep this thing rolling. I'm 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 enjoying it. I I see it going pretty well. Uh, every time that he puts up a, a fence, you bring up a, a a little like a nuance, like a little um a point to show that you do have the knowledge. And he is participating pretty well. I mean, he kind of fought back a little bit, but he's still going with it. I'm enjoying it. I think it's a good interview so far. Okay, good. I appreciate that. Let's let's keep going then. Of rappers, I feel you always added a lot of humor to your work, and I th- I feel like the Beastie Boys did the same thing, even though they came at it from a different direction. And it seems like in the '90s, uh, there there became like the whole gangster rap element, which totally changed everything in the hip-hop industry and you weren't really a part of that i'm never gonna be a part of that i'm not a gangster right and that and that seemed to it seemed like that took uh control of the industry really you know you had guys like uh you know puffy doing huge deals with record labels at that point and you know kind of leaving the old school rap behind well it wasn't the thing about leaving the old school rap rap and at this I just came into my own and bonded myself as this, more like a character, more like a hip-hop ambassador. Yeah, exactly. Well, and you were in so many things. You were in uh, Men in Black doing doing uh, beatboxing. You were doing in love in Living Color. Uh, so you you you've you've kind of expanded all over the place. Like, how do you keep finding all these different opportunities? Do they come to you? Or do you go I mean, to them? God blesses me, and and I, I'm just blessed by God. Well, and and so with the Beastie Boys, Ooh, you did. Uh, I had to figure out how to keep going. Right. Them, and did you continue working with them through the 2000s, or is mostly in the 90s? I mean, whenever we see each other, because you know both of us have busy schedules. Right. So whenever we see each other, we get together and we be having fun. So at any point during this. Did you feel like, did you ever feel like you made a mistake? Like yeah. you should have kept doing um, solo albums or do you should have kept doing X or Y or, you know, did, was there ever a point that you had any regrets? No, I never, never no regrets because if I want to make an album, I'll make an album. Right. So, and then, and then also uh, you started getting more into kind of, you know, acting like being in Men in Black and things like that, and uh, and just a friend also must be licensed all over the place. Uh, here we go again with your just a friend. Yeah, well, you know, I own just a friend, so you know they got a license to me. Hello. Right, and uh, uh, so what? Essentially, how did you start getting learning? How did you go from being at the top of the rap game to being a DJ? What did you have to do to start learning that? What did you have to do to start learning to be a DJ? You're at the top of the rap game, and now you wanted to switch, basically, to being a DJ. What What did you have to do? Uh, well, I just had to practice. That's all. I was all, I was always a record collector, so uh, I just had to practice. And and That's what was practicing practice. like? Like just kind of trying different beats and trying different things. Yeah, just practices, practicing doing parties. That's all and, I had to do. So so. Fast forwarding to 2008, Chris Rock, how did you meet him? I knew Chris Rock from back in early 80s, hanging around Brooklyn and everything. And, you know, me and Chris Rock has always been boys. We always make sure, you know, we always make sure we call each other or keep in touch with each other. 
we always been boys. And then, you know, when he went on tour, I opened up for his tour and or any TV shows, any records, I always did. That's great because he obviously has toured all over the place. Did you? Uh, I know you went. You, you went in two thousand eight touring with him, and again, you you bring a lot of humor into the rap, which was perfect for for Chris Rock's tour. Uh, so, would you tour with him again? Oh yes, yes. He's talking about touring again anyway now. Yeah. Okay, and then and you wouldn't just do your own songs. You would you would essentially DJ the opening like you would uh, you would take lots of songs and uh, uh, bring them into the Chris Rock open. Yeah, I mean whatever 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 it takes, I'll do it. Okay, now out of out, out of left field, SpongeBob SquarePants. How did you get involved with them? Well, I, I got a kid show called Yo Gabba Gabba and. The, the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants was at the show, and he said that he wanted me to be on the SpongeBob SquarePants. And you were Kenny the Cat. Yes. Was that fun? Did people ever oh, say, "Hey, fun. that's Ken"? Did little kids ever say, "Hey, that's Kenny the Cat"? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have, that, you have I a mean, very they, they know voice. me at Biz. No, they know me at Biz Beater to death. They know me from the Yo Gabba Gabba doing Biz Beater to death. Ah, uh, okay, good. So. Another thing, I mean, it's amazing to me how many things you've done. You've really had a fun life. So you were you were in the first season of Celebrity Fit Club. What yeah. was that like? How'd you get involved in that? Um, my manager they they called for me, and my manager suggested that I do it. So I wasn't going to do it. And at then first, you won. Like you lost more yeah. weight than anyone else. Yeah, and I did. Yeah, and I just and I just lost one hundred fifty pounds. You lost 150 pounds. How much do you weigh? Uh, two something. How'd you lose so much weight? Uh, diet and um, I just took a lot of sugar out of my. Since I'm a diabetic, I take a lot of sugar out of my uh, diet, and I'm drinking a soda called Zevia because they got it's from the stevia plant. So oh, okay. I, I, well, how I do you spell a, that? I'm a spokesperson for this new soda called Zevia. Z e v i a. If you want to Google it, you can Google Z-E-V-I-A forward slash this marquee, and you'll see that I'm the spokesperson. But it's a good show. It tastes good. And it's just incredible. It's, and, it's selling like a Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and all the stores. Oh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to check that out. So so how uh, how how else did you lose weight? Like what kind of diet did you go? Are you into things like the paleo diet or anything like that? No, I made up my own diet. Cause I was on Celebrity Fit Club, so I knew what, I know what to do. I just did the thing. I drank more water and taking less intake of food. So more water, less food. Yeah. And how long did it take to lose 150 <laughs> pounds? Uh, year. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to recommend this diet to people. So so. I mean, so... It's, I mean it's just that you just got cut a lot of things out of your diet. Now, back in the '80s when. Hip hop, like in I, I, I didn't know where to go. Hold on, stop, Nobody... stop, 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 Tim. I, I love your recovery, James, because he is making it difficult. I'm going to have to recommend this diet to a lot of my friends. Okay, just so here's the water. Hey guys, a lot of food. Yeah, hey guys, here's the Bismarcky diet. It's revolutionary. You ready? Uh, drink a lot of water. Don't eat a lot of food. Uh, come again? Yeah, it's his own diet. He just told me his secret. He lost 150 pounds. Amazing. 
He lost 33% of his it's body a, it's weight. It's amazing. Like, it's amazing. 150 pounds is an incredible feat for just – you know what that is? That He, he lost me. Like I'm 150 he lost pounds. Me. Lost me plus 10. What I like is he doesn't care about – that. like it doesn't phase him, right? It's not an accomplishment for him. He's he's you can tell what his mind is like. He's the type of guy that when he puts his mind to it, he just does it. He doesn't look for a bunch of excuses. He doesn't look for a bunch of tricks and gimmicks. He didn't go hire some nutritionist or anything like that. He just said, oh, it's a calorie in calorie out game and water will fill you up and water will flush you out. And that's all he did. And I, I think that biz could be good at anything he set his mind to because he has that attitude of just doing. Would you agree with that? I think that's right. You know, the funny thing is talking to him reminds me of like we did a podcast once here with uh, Dan Marino, the, mm-hmm. who's like the best football player ever or whatever. Uh, and it reminds me of talking to him like somebody whose brain is just geared to be he's not going to be like the best at everything in the world. But what he decides to be the best at, it's like a single-minded focus. That's what he's going to be good at. And you kind of just feel like like that's what he can talk about. Yes. Yes. All right. Let's uh, let's continue. Uh, you know, not nobody, but like kind of the, the world itself didn't know what hip-hop was. I mean, it seemed like uh, it was a very small audience. How did, did you guys have a sense that this was going to be much bigger? Um, I had a sense it was going to be much bigger. That's why I put my all and kept being doing hip hop. Why did you have a sense it was going to be much bigger? Because, because everyone it, wants it, to it know was, was so what's going to be the next big thing. It was so thing. musical. It was so different. It was so musical, and you needed it. It needed a change in music. And so, like, with by the way, like so just stop friend, for a second. Notice these huge silences, like. He wasn't really giving me much. That's the problem with the interview. Right. Like a lot of times when I have a, a guest on, they and it's my it's my fault really. Like somehow we didn't bond. And a lot of times with with my guests, um, we have more of a conversation and it's more fluid. Like he just, I kind of got the feeling I wasn't doing a good job, and he just kind of wanted to get off, you know, the podcast at that point. Well, I, you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't say that it's your fault at all. Uh, maybe he just doesn't like to do podcast inter- or interviews. Maybe he just doesn't like to do interviews. Period. Um, yeah, because I really had to beg to get him. Like you, you should. I must have made twenty calls with his manager. And, and from uh, you know, I'm trying to think of this from a podcasting perspective, like a hosting role. I think there's nothing that you could do better at this point than what you've done because you've done a lot of cold reading. Uh, which is a great technique to build rapport for those out there that don't know what it is. It's basically what palm readers use and, and tarot card readers and stuff like that. Uh, essentially, it's a great way to bond, right? You're running like a rainbow of emotions by you're, you're trying to let him know that you understand his world. You understand the hard work he's put in. You're trying to to do that. But he's just shutting things down left and right at every turn. And he's he has no open conversation loops is is what you're saying, where he's not giving you anything else. You ask a question, a very open ended question with a nice cold read. And he just gives you, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, I'm the uncle. With hip-hop. Yeah. And it's so, like, so, so then so, where do you go? Like, so this is very difficult, but I don't think it, I don't think it has anything to do with you and him or the rapport. It's just, I just don't think he likes to interview. I'd have to go listen to more interviews that he's on. 
Yeah. So, so, so my, my technique here was I'm kind of timescaping so that we, so it seems like we're covering a lot of stuff. Like I'm going from SpongeBob, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants in, in the 2010s all the way back to the 1980s. And we're going on, we're covering like a vast, you know, span of time so it feels like we're bonding over different things but it, it's still difficult well it's, so, a, okay. it's, a, it's a very smart interview technique because what you're trying to do is you're trying to find a hot button you're trying to find something he's passionate about that he'll actually talk about so you're being forced to time jump around a lot and you just haven't found that thing yet and, and i don't and know if we get will. there a little bit you'll okay. see in a second we'll all get right, let's let really interesting stuff in a second well, how so? Did you write that song? How did you put that song together? Um, I just thought of it was supposed to be a serious song. I was trying to do a type of song like "I Need Love" by LL. Yeah, and I just wrote the song out because it. Ha I mean, it happened. It occurred to me. So instead of fighting somebody, I just wrote it out. Instead it of fighting with somebody, I, I wrote the song out. And were you were put, you in I a relationship the, at the, the time? On the pen. I put the pain on the pen and paper. He's talking about just a friend. Is that because you were going out with somebody and and that so happened? Oh, that that's horrible. Did yeah, you? Uh, so how how did you get over that? Like, uh, so other than writing the song, did you end up in a relationship that was that was good? Oh yeah. I just know that I don't trust a girl that says she just got a friend. All right, that's good advice. Um, so so what are you up to now? What are you working on these days? Um, I'm just DJing and I'm doing Yo Gabba Gabba. We, we get ready to be in our eighth season. You, uh, your eighth season. So this is one of the longest running cable shows ever. Seemed like it because it's a kid show. It's all Nick Jr. And uh, uh, do you go on on tour at all? Do you go? Do you perform? Yeah, well, I'm on a massive coming up. I'm on a massive ceremony tour, and I'm at my own tour coming up. When when's your tour start? One tour starts in July. I think one tour starts in August. And in uh, in 2010, you were uh, you and Jeff Goldblum uh, performed "Just a Friend" on Jimmy Fallon. Oh, that was 2010. I thought that was 2012. Uh, no, 2010. See, time goes fast at our age. Time goes fast. <laughs> yeah. You're. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna out you here, but you just turned 50 years old. Yes, I am, and I'm proud of it. If I feel like I feel like I was a, a kid when I listened to Just a Friend, and I'm a, I'm going to turn fifty soon. Oh, it is what it is. <laughs> so good, good music lasts. Yeah, good music does last. So, do you ever get tired though of people just talking about Just a Friend? Like you've done so many things in your career. I'm tired you've of been you talking so about the starter so of this conversation. Music. Everyone gets, including me, everyone gets back to just a friend. Uh, I out myself. Uh, you did. I mean, they talk about everything. But they that's the one, even on your website. Big Daddy Kane out. They talk about a lot of stuff. And they just, uh, just a friend is just, one, is just my swan song. Right. Also, I have to say, the YouTube video of DJ Cool doing Let Me Clear My Throat with your appearance on that, that's there a great video. Oh, it's all right. We did an affiliate club called Gotham. Is that is that club still around? Uh, nah, nah. So, what's like the funnest thing you've done in the past? You've done everything, so I don't even know where to begin. What's the what's I what's can't the even most begin. There's so many things that was fun. I can't even tell you. Like, what are uh, some of the things that I haven't great. even mentioned? 
Celebrity uh, Fit Club, Men in Black, the, you, you know, Nick Jr., Just a Friend. You've done everything. I, I want your career. Uh, you can have it. Take it. <laughs> no, I got to work too hard. Six to ten hours, that's too much work. Yeah. When did you start seeing, like, the results of working that hard? Like, how many hours do you think you had put in all together before you would say you were a good rapper? I can't tell you. I just know that I was rocking parties and getting paid for it. Once I started getting money for it, then I knew that it was good. And when did that happen? Um, I started getting money in 83, 82. And was it, like, enough money to live on? Like, were you were you really, you know, able to live large nah, 80, then, or, or nah, were you getting by? No, nah, 86 is when it started, when I got money that I had to live on. Okay, stop, stop there. And so... He started practicing six to ten hours a day in 1977, and it wasn't until 1986 that he could make a living. Nine years. Nine years of six to ten hours a day of practice. And I'm, 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 I believe him that he was doing that every day because he loved it. He clearly wasn't doing anything else. So uh, it's, it's hard work no matter what you do, man. It's like an overnight success which I consider just a friend still. An overnight success takes a long, long time and a lot of practice. Yeah, and, you know, of course, overnight success, like just a friend, um, you know, it was an accident, first of all, right? Uh, the way that it kind of came out, turned into this kind of parody song. And, yeah. you know, at least a video was. And then, uh, but, you know, he had prepared to get himself to that point. Uh, so all of those tens of thousands of hours of practicing had paid off when he did just a friend, but it wasn't like he just created a YouTube video and then threw it up there. Of course, YouTube didn't even exist back then, but, but you know but, you what know, I'm saying? Like, like, like he, he had to, he like, had to pave take, the way, take, you know, even take like a guy like Macklemore though, who put up the YouTube video of thrift shop and then suddenly got half a billion uh, views that guy, you know, and he's still a young guy, but he had been rapping and, and performing for something like 10 years mm -hmm. with no recognition at all. And finally, he got big from Thrift Shop and the YouTube video. That was really the start. Nobody knew who he was before then. And then every record label called him, of course, and he said no to every record label because you don't need them. Like, he had a half a billion views on YouTube. He was going to start selling on iTunes no matter what. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's uh, – was, that was just – I thought that was the most interesting part of the interview with Bismarck. I mean, there's some other stuff, but the fact that he worked so hard and for so long doing what he loved. But I always think love plus, plus persistence equals abundance, and it worked out for him. But then he talks about the abundance part next. How did you, um, how did you hold on to it? Like, I know for myself, when I first made money, I basically spent it all and went broke. I had to make money – several times before I stopped going broke. How did you learn to kind of hold on to your money? Only my habits is, is like buying stuff off eBay or buying records, so that ain't really a crazy expensive habit if you bought it, you know what I mean? Right, so you it didn't like crazy. go out and buy like a helicopter or a huge mansion nah, or anything like that? I'm a, I'm a car freak, but you know, at the time I was making so much money, it didn't make, it didn't even make no sense. You know what I mean? So it didn't, it didn't really, it didn't really hurt my stuff. Like, what do you mean so much money? Are we talking like $50 million money, money. or $5 million? Like, what was what was a lot of money um, back then on a, on a good album? I'm, I can't tell you how much, but I just know I made, I made a lot of money. And and so you would buy, you would go out, you wouldn't buy houses, you would go out and buy cars. 
I mean, I bought a, I, bought, I invest my money right. I just can't tell you how I did it. And did you invest at all? Yeah, I invested. I can't tell you what I invested in, but I invest. Okay, good. I invest in property. Out. I invest in coins. I invest in gold. And do you still invest in gold? Mm, I got enough. I'm good. All right, good. Because gold's gold's had quite a run since like 1989. You've done you've done well with it. Oh yeah, because gold. But I bought a lot of gold in the 90s. So right now, gold is worth a lot. What? Why did you pick gold? Because gold never goes down. I mean, sometimes it goes down. Like from 1980 to 1990, it went down. Yeah, but I'm talking about now. Right. Now is different. <laughs> and, okay, and stop for a second. He's right. Like, so he didn't buy when it was going down, and he's probably made a lot of it since. I mean, then. he's pretty matter of fact, right? He's yeah. he's very much. Um, he's not an, an investment expert, so no, no, and I don't really know why. I think he may have had some friend that said, "Hey, man, gold's where you need to be," or whatever. Uh, I mean, I like gold. Look, I own some gold. I do it as more of a, a cat- catastrophe insurance in case things go bad, which I know we're not going to talk about that because then you're like, well, it's never going to go bad. Fine. Whatever. No, no. You know what? I own silver. Okay. Yeah. So same thing. Gold and silver are real money. You know, that's, you know, the gold standard. All that stuff. So he probably, somebody probably did tell him that at some point. You know what? You know what I'm proud of when hearing the interview is. Whoever told him to get into gold, he got in at a great price. But the great thing about gold is gold can be sold at any time and will always have some kind of a market for it. You know, I don't know what price. As opposed to most of these uh, superstars, they get really bad advice and then they open a bunch of restaurants or, you know, software or whatever, like Kurt Schilling, you know, $600 million dollars. He at least somebody gave him sound advice somewhere for investing. It sounds like because at least gold. Yeah, you got to store it. It's physical and all that stuff. But you can get rid of it if you need to for cash. Yeah, it's true. And look, it's a good thing to have in the portfolio. I don't know. I I wouldn't have me personally. I'm not as much of a a gold guy as like many people. I don't I I don't think it's a hedge against inflation if you if you kind of correlate it with inflation. But um, but I like silver because it's both a precious metal and an industrial metal as opposed to gold, which is just a a precious metal. I agree. But Bismarck, he agrees with you. But he's but man, he's giving you I mean, he's not giving you anything, James. This is still like pulling teeth. This is tough. You're doing I mean, I'm I'm learning on each level, but I kind of have to pull it out. I mean, you're you're a pro here. See, for me, I I bet you I would have bailed long ago because I would just feel like I was wasting his time, but you're doing a good job of still navigating. Uh, so for the podcast, do you have all your notes in front of you because you're doing a lot of quick hits in time, throwing out a bunch of names, throwing out a bunch of different things that he's done. Uh, I mean, I prepared a lot for it. Like I watched, you know, Yo Gabba Gabba, SpongeBob SquarePants. I watched all his videos. I watched the the Jeff Goldblum appearance with the roots. Uh, I watched everything. You know, but, you know, I couldn't it's not like I'm going to ask about each detail of everything. I'm just trying to what really what I really got out of it was how hard he had to work. And, you know, also, he talks a little bit about mastery in a little bit. So that's interesting. So let's let's roll. All right. You get like nervous about. I don't get nervous about nothing. All day I get nervous about is going on a plane that I can't fly myself. (laughs) So you like to be in control. Yes. 
Maybe that's yeah. why you wanted a solo career, because then you knew you could be in, in control of what you were doing. Yeah. Did you ever have a problem because you weren't always in control of all the publishing rights or anything like that? No, no, I'm not worried about that. I got all my stuff. Oh, uh, so stop there, actually. It's a very important thing. Uh, so he actually did get sued for um, doing a sample once uh, in 1991, uh, and that's really when he stopped doing doing records on his own. Mm, okay. So, so and, you know, and actually, it was a mistake for me to bring that up about the publishing rights, uh, like because we kind of, I kind of knew in advance he didn't really oh, want to. Awful, um, it was an off uh, off limit topic. Well, it wasn't necessarily off limits, like I'm bringing it up now, but I, I just knew he had no nothing to say about that. But gotcha, I, I forgot. Okay. Yes. What? What? Who are your favorite uh, over the past like 30 years? Who are your favorite rappers right now? Uh, I like a lot of them. I can't tell you who. It's too many to, to name. You don't want to. You don't want to leave anyone out. Nope. You might insult them. Nope. <laughs> well, um. Well, this is great. So thanks so much for coming on my podcast. Uh, you've had an incredible career. Uh, can I ask you one question? So so in, in Just a Friend, there's this one scene, brilliant scene. You're playing the piano. You're dressed like Mozart. And you're singing the old Freddie Scott song a little bit out of tune. What were you thinking of creatively? Like, I know you're just having fun, but what was what were some of the ideas going through your head? I just wanted to be an old-school type of Mozart, George washington singing the record. I wanted it to be just something that would be so different that people would jump out the screen. And even the, even the out-of-tune part, like you singing out-of-tune, strangely sounded in tune on the song because rap was playing with that whole idea of, of distorting music. And I, I really like the out-of-tune choice, but what were you thinking? I just wanted to ask people to sing it for me, and they wouldn't sing it, so I had to sing it myself. I see. And you weren't, were you feeling like you weren't much of a singer? You were more of a rapper? No, I felt like I sung it right. Okay, good. So, so, um, I want to, again, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. (laughs) Uh, you've really taken, a career that started out in one direction rap and it, it it's almost like shattered into 20 other careers. You've really been really great at reinventing yourself. What, what advice would you give someone who wants to switch from one career to another career? Someone who wants to reinvent themselves. You got to master one at a time. And how do you master something? If you do multiple careers, you got to master one at a time. You can't do all of them at the same time. Because if you don't master one, you got to master one, then go to the next, master it. So even if you have to go back to that career, you already know what you're doing. And how do you master something? I thought that I thought that was great advice. I, I mean, I can't explain. I, agree. I just know how to do it myself. Like for you, it sounds like you put you 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 put in the time. You you put in the hours, but did you have like in each case? Did you have teachers, or you just kind of like naturally, you know, felt your way through it? No, I did it myself. Like with rap, you must have been influenced by like Africa Bambata oh, and all these I, I guys. I listened to rap. I was in. I listened to Cold Quest, Master Rob, Busy B Star. I listened to them, but I still had to make my own style. And at the time. I would say the first real breakout 
rap hit was Run DMC. And at the nah, time, Rappers Delight. Yeah. Oh, okay. Rappers Delight, Sugar Hill Gang. You got so Rappers Delight. You got The Breaks. You got a lot of records that broke out first. That's because they wasn't mainstream. That don't mean they didn't break out. You got Spoonie G. You got The Treacherous Three. A lot of them records was the, the was the blueprint on how to make a record. What do you mean by a blueprint? The blueprint, like. Everybody that writes fast rhymes today had to listen to a Treacherous Three. They were the first one. Right. You had to listen to Rappers Delight first to how to make a record. One DMC came in a good time. They 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 put rock and stuff with it, but it was after these guys did it first. Right. They, uh, just they, stop, they stop right there for a second. It's a really great point, actually, that to master something, you kind of have to build on all of the building blocks that happened before then. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what he's kind of underlining for me there. I think it's a valuable point. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's why people who um, want to know how to invest, for instance, I always tell them, read. Um, so I like to read investment books, even written like in the early 1900s, you know, or, or study the bubbles and stuff from the 1800s, 1700s, and so on. Like, really learn the history of everything you're doing. Uh, it's really critical. Oh, read the, the letters Warren Buffett wrote even before his Berkshire letters. Like, his Berkshire letters are open to the public, but not his earlier letters. Like, track those down and read them. So, anyway, that's that's Biz Marquis' equivalent is, is all of these other rappers from before Run, Run DMC, who really was the first mainstream breakout. Mm-hmm. Harlem World and all these places listen to them first. They didn't just come out of the ground. Right. And they had, uh, they of course also had Russell Simmons really uh, pushing them and as Russell well. Russell Simmons used to be, Russell Simmons used to be a promoter. Right, then so he probably... turned into manager and doing all that. But Run DMC was rappers from around Queen. But Did I'm you ever have a chance to work with them? It. Uh, yeah, I mean, I used to, I used to rock with him sometimes. JMSJ was my man, you know what I mean? Ah, uh, yeah. So, 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 let me ask you this. Jay-Z, I saw in one interview where you said you knew, uh, Jay-Z as a little kid. Yes, I knew Jay-Z since 81, 82, when he used to be in a group with my man Chase and a Jazz-O. There used to be three people in the group. And were you able to tell that this guy was going to be really stand out? Jazz, just like Rakim, he always was great. It's just that he had to—he needed his music to catch up to his rap. Once his music caught up to him, once he had the beats to catch up to the, to his rap, he was out of here. That's all he needed. So he had the rap skill, but you're saying always maybe the melody the wasn't there, or what do you mean by having no, the music I'm catch about up the to beats? Rap. His music wasn't wasn't it. I don't think I understand. So there, there like wasn't that, a, a good so producer. Whoever was making his beat, they were, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't coinciding. Like if you ever hear any of my records, my records go with my beats. My raps go with my beats. Ah, I see. So he would be rapping, and it wouldn't necessarily be going along with the music. No, no, no. The person didn't make the record right for him. Ah, I it's see. It's just that his music had to match him. You listen to Jay Z on any of his records now, the music matches him. 
And do you think that also, like, in the starting around in the, the late 80s, 90s, suddenly you have all these producers who really knew how to make rap. They weren't rappers, but they knew how to make rap records. So suddenly... Yeah, but the thing is, is just that certain people met, certain people mesh with different people. Right. And so... And so, then, you know, it did, so when he came out in, like, 95 and 96, when he, after he started hanging with Big Daddy K, hanging with Biggie and know how to make a record, once he found the formula... He was out of here. Nobody taught him nothing. He just he just learned to form it. And what do you think makes a great rapper right now? I don't know because it's different these days. Like what makes it different? It's just different. It's, I'm older, so I can't speak on how these dudes do their stuff now. Like a like take a guy like Eminem for instance. You Eminem, know what makes you can't put his Eminem. You can't put Eminem with these new guys because Eminem really know how to rap and he knows how to battle. And he had a case of, he just knows what he's doing. And were, you know, back in the 80s or 70s, were you also doing uh, battles or? Yeah, you know, I always out? battle. I battle to this day. Really? To this day? Yeah. So I won't challenge you unless I practice you really hard. all day if Whatever you want to go on with, I don't care if it's pogo sticking. We're going to battle. <laughs> okay, we could play chess, maybe. Uh, all right, I, I got to see you. I got to go now. I'll call you later. Okay, Thank you. thanks a lot. <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> yeah, you weren't really enjoying the uh, the very end of that, were you? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I I was really feeling uncomfortable the whole time. But, you know, he had a lot of valuable stuff. Like, you know, it's, it's one of the best guys in in an, in an entire multi billion dollar industry, so there's always something to learn, you know. And I I learned a lot from it, but I just felt un- personally uncomfortable during the interview. Well, he had a lot of very valuable lessons. Um, you know, you probably he probably bailed at the very end, probably because he did was up against the clock or something, but also because you did give him that like, okay, thanks for coming on, and then you ask him ten more min- minutes of questions that he didn't want to talk about, so. He, yeah. probably, he probably felt like he probably felt like I thought this dude was going to hang up, and now like here I am, just getting barrage of questions again. Um, right, so, so it ended up being like listening to it now. It ended up being a much better interview not than, bad. I, than, than I thought it was. It was just I felt personally uncomfortable. Yeah, I get that, and I'm I'm sure Claudia will be very happy to hear that you've healed from your wounds because you were uh, this thing was like OCD in your head for a couple of weeks after you did this. Yeah. Like to the point where she was like, James, I swear if you bring up Bismarcky again, I'm going to strangle you. Well, I couldn't stop playing um, the the Just a Friend and the DJ Cool song, Let Me Clear My Throat. Like uh, I was just, I was just psycho playing it. And she was like, like, I think blood was coming out of her ears in the other <laughs> room. Like I was playing it so much. Overall, James thought it was a great interview. Uh, I think you prepared fantastically for this, uh, as you always do. Uh, you know, one of the lessons is, you know, you got to be very objective when it comes to a craft and when it comes to interviewing people, it's a difficult job because it's like, um, I always kind of give the analogy with going up and talking to girls in bars or bookstores or whatever the case is. All I know is my perspective, right? So if I go up and say, Hey, you're cute. I want to introduce myself. My name's Aaron, blah, blah, blah. She could have just had a death in the family. She could have, like, been fired from her job that day. Like, you never know the other intangibles, yeah. right? See, we don't know the intangibles of what was going on with his life. We don't know if he was forced to do the podcast by his publicist 
or what the case was. Um, so I think for you, my advice to you, and, and I don't think it's even a problem with you, is you know you just can't take these things personal. I know he was like an idol to you, and you really wanted to be boys like uh, you are with Ice-T now, but sometimes you just can't make that happen, right? I mean, you did a great job overall. You threw out tons of conversation threads. You objectively went back and picked out what you believe are the best parts of this. So I think overall, a successful A-. minus. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, I know I'm not sure when this uh, podcast is coming out, but um, the one that's up currently right now is uh, Jim Norton, The Art of Comedy. Yes, listen to it. Uh, Have you listened to that one? I did. So so that was an interesting one for me because – we we didn't laugh at all during the interview. Like he, it was very different from other podcasts he normally does, where he does essentially he does his act on the podcast. But I loved it because we talked about really almost like the science of comedy and how and it was and it was fun also because I grew up with him. I think so, that I, I think that that's why uh, you got a re- a very real interview out of him because he didn't feel the need to be funny. He could actually take his comic mask off because you guys did go to elementary school together. You know, he knew you as this chess champion guy who claimed he could beat Bobby Fisher with just uh, being spotted one uh, rook. And uh, you knew him as the guy who came into your school and just killed it like the first day even. So that's the thing too, right? So the familiarity will change the dynamics of an interview. Yeah, um, which yeah, was cool. And I, so I really enjoyed that because I got to see the real side of him. I think he gave away a lot of a lot of uh, things about himself that were personal that he probably doesn't reveal to other people because he doesn't have that comfort level. Yeah. Claudia um, was very unsure about it beforehand. And um, she listened to it and was blown away. She was like, wow, this is what she the Jim Norton I wanted to hear. So, so I was pleased with that one. And, you know, with, with most of the podcasts, I actually do know the people, but just this with, with Bismarck Key and, um, some of the other ones we have, um, but Bismarck Key in particular, I just couldn't figure out how to connect, but still we got some good, some good stuff out of it. So, so Aaron, thanks for, for helping me, um, analyze this one. And I hope people enjoyed how we did this. And, um, I'll see you, I'll see you when I see you. All right, man, I'll, I'll talk to you on uh, today's Ask Altature. Yes. For more from James, check out the James Altature Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.